Good morning. How are we doing again? Good to see you. We are uh, starting a brand new uh, series this morning, three weeks, and then we'll take a break for Mission Sunday, which was scheduled to be for today, and then we'll go with another series. But this uh, three-week series called Now More Than Ever, and I just thought, as thinking about our, our world and where we're at and all the craziness of it all, uh, I just thought now more than ever, we need to be a people of the gospel. We need to be a people to take a stand for uh, God's word, and so we're going to kind of break that down over the next three weeks. What does that look like? Uh, how do we accomplish that? This morning we're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 6. So go ahead and take your Bibles out and turn to verses 22 and 23. And uh, you can follow along uh, with me. For those of you that are uh, younger here today, you're probably going to get a little bit of an education of how things work way back in the past. Things like, you know, the olden days. And by that I mean like the 80s and 90s, right? That's kind of what, what I'm talking about. You know, when graphic designers did their work on a DOS-based computer, right? If you remember, uh, MS-DOS was the first operating system that Microsoft used for, for PCs. So, so when a graphic designer wanted to make, you know, a, an eye-catching poster or an attractive brochure, they would do that without seeing the final product on their screen. Right? All they saw was code. Oh, wow. That's really good. I just froze up. How does that happen? It was DOS, yeah. Now what do I do? I do that. Whoa. Okay, sorry about that. We're going to do this. Okay, that's the first time that's happened in about 15 years of using an iPad to preach from. I got nothing. Here we go. All right, I'm back. Hello. All right. So what they would do is um, they would actually have to print to see what they, their brochure or whatever it is they were working on looked like. So, so as you can imagine, there was uh, like a pretty steep learning curve and a lot of guesswork involved in, in what they're doing. And then a technology came along that was referred to as WYSIWYG, right? W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. It stands for what you see is what you get. And, and that technology totally revolutionized the desktop publishing industry. I remember when my wife was church secretary of the church that we grew up in back in the early 80s, when she did the bulletin, she literally had a light board, and she would cut out with an exacto knife every letter. And then she would put it up on the, on the light board, and then she would copy it on a mimeograph machine, right? For you younger, you're going to have to Google that one, right? And, and that's how she did the bulletin. But this technology made it possible for almost anyone to create posters or brochures or church bulletins or, or whatever. Why? Because they could actually see on the screen what the document would look like. 
Now, now the phrase is not a new one. Right back in the 70s, Flip Wilson used to say it all the time. And again, you might have to Google Flip, right, to figure out who he was. And then, actually, the phrase goes back even farther than that to the 1940s when it was used in an advertising campaign for a color camera. A camera that was used and you could see the resolution that produced an image identical of what you saw in the lens. Now, now today, we all carry in our pockets a camera. Oh, look, I get a text from Matt Halverson. I kid you not. Let's read it. It says, hey, <laughs> this is funny. Hey, I know you're in the middle of church right now. So no hurry. Oh, he wants like a credit card. Yeah, we'll get to him later. <laughs> Whatever. Right, we all carry in our pockets this this or a purse, this sophisticated camera, as well as a phone, uh, a computer. You know, we just carry it everywhere we go. And so I got to thinking about this phrase and how it applies to our lives today. And there's this sense that, that you see as you live your life day by day really is what you get. What you see determines the kind of life, the quality of life that you will experience. Anybody remember the black ink blot test? They used to use that to determine somebody's personality, motivations, and even their emotional condition. They have these black blots on a piece of paper, and then they asked you what you saw. And some people saw a tree, or they saw a butterfly, or they saw pizza, or whatever. And when the person tells what they saw, the analyst would know something about that person. And since different people saw different things in the blots, what you saw told something about who you are. The same could be said as for the way we look at events taking place in our lives right now. What, what you see in yourself, in your past, in your future, in your purpose, in your reason for living offers insight into the person that you are. I'm pretty sure the young man who shot people in the Highland Park incident a few months looked at his life and who he was in a certain way. You know, throughout the Bible, we come across countless references to having one's eyes open or, or seeing through the eyes of faith. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So, simply put, the idea that light comes in to the body through the eye. And so, if our eyes were, were blind, we would live in this dark world. In the context of the passage, the idea behind having a good eye it really gives us the idea of being generous or being single-minded. Both principles apply to the follower of Christ and their attitude towards material things. Being generous brings light into our lives. We are happier and we are more content when we have God's heart of generosity. But if we're not generous, 
It is as if your, your whole body will be full of darkness. Our selfish ways can cast darkness over everything we think or everything that we do. Being single-minded brings light into our lives. And we are more happier and more content when we focus on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all this other stuff will be added unto us. But when we're double-minded, when your whole body, then it's full of darkness. If we try to live for two masters at the same time, it puts a dark shadow over everything in our life. Jesus is telling us that either our eye is directed at heavenly things, therefore full of light, or it is directed at earthly things, therefore full of darkness. In effect, he's saying what you see is what you get. If you see accurately what God is doing in your life, then your light, life is full of light. But if you can't see the light you see, and you can't see what God's doing in your life, then you are filled with darkness. With that in mind, I want to invite you to ask yourself three questions about what you see in, relations to God, in relation to God's presence in your life. The questions are like, like a spiritual ink blot test. What you will see will tell you what you need to know about yourself, and hopefully that will lead you to make the changes that you need to make in your life. Here's the first question. Go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program. You can follow along with me. Question number one is, what do you see in the past? Or another way to put it is, what do you remember? Like we all have this in common, I think. If we were asked to make a list of 10 bad things that have happened to you in the past, what would they be? Right? Mistakes that, that, that our parents made, maybe? Mistakes that we made as a parent? A time when you were deceived? A, a time when we did something that we shouldn't have done? We all can recount our blunders, our failures, our flat-out acts of rebellion. And we can probably come up with a time that we treated somebody else unfairly. We can easily think of ten negative events from the past, or at least I can. Like, no problem. I wonder if the same is true if we made a list of good things that have happened in our lives. Successful moments, victories, blessings, joyful events. And even though both lists are accurate, the question is, which list will you and I review most often? Which events in your life will you make it a point to remember? Like they say, if, if you get 10 praises in your life and like one negative thing, which one do you remember? Right? Most of the time we remember the negative thing. Most of you know the name Michael Jordan. One of the greatest basketball players of all time. He's like a one-of-a-kind talent kind of guy. And so it was a bit surprising to me that at the pinnacle of his career, the day in which he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, he chose to draw attention to every negative thing that he experienced over the years. Well, like he called out his high school coach for not giving him as an underclassman a spot on the varsity team. And then he does this. He invites one of those players on that team to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony so he can kind of just like rub it in a little bit. 
He also made a point to tell everyone he didn't invite the former general manager of the Chicago Bulls because it was in retaliation of a past offense. Now, Jordan may have intended his speech to be inspirational, but in all reality, it was quite revealing. It's amazing that one of the greatest basketball players of all time sees his past with such anger and such resentment. And then I got to thinking, well, we probably all do that, don't we? I mean, we all know people that every time they, you talk about a memory or you talk about the past, it, it always comes up negative, right? Remember the time, and then it's always something bad. And I guess we all have a tendency to be that way. I know I do. We, we tend to focus on our past failures and disappointments and, and we focus on how others have, have let us down and we, we bask in our bitterness and we take refuge in our resentment. We relive those hurts like it's a wound that will never heal. And when we look in the past and, and all you see is resentment and regret, your life will be filled with what? Darkness. Do you know how God wants you to see the past? He wants you to see the past through the eyes of mercy. Through the eyes of grace. And, and I get it. We all have a past to come to grips with. But it's also true. 2 Corinthians 5.17, my favorite verse. We founded our church on this verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let me break down the verse for you a little bit this morning. If anyone is in Christ, those two little words comprise a brief but seriously deep statement of significance of the believer's redemption, which includes the following. And, and I hope you can track with this. When you're in Christ... The believer has a security in Christ. Jesus took upon himself God's judgment against sin. When you're in Christ, the believer's future assurance in Christ, who is the resurrection to eternal life and the only one who concealed the believer's inheritance in heaven. When you're in Christ, the believer's participation in the divine nature of Christ. The everlasting word. You are a what? A new creation. That describes something that is created at a new level. It refers to the regeneration or the new birth. This is an expression that encompasses the Christian's forgiveness of sins paid for in Christ's substitutionary death. When we are in Christ, the old things are passed away. Like after a person is regenerate, old value systems, priorities, beliefs, loves, plans, gone. Evil and sin are still present, but the believer sees them in a new perspective as they no longer control him. New things have come. The grammar indicates that this newness is a continually condition of fact. The believer's new spiritual perception of everything is a constant reality for him or her. And now we live for eternal things and not for temporal things. 
So practically, do we have regrets? Yeah, we all do. But let us remember that we have been forgiven. You want to go check on her? God has forgotten our sins and will remember them no more. Right? We are a new creation. And when you look at the past, do you remember something painful? Do you remember something that that troubles you? I, I pray that you don't. But I think we're all tempted to dwell on those kinds of things. And our challenge today is to see the past through the eyes of grace, to forgive others as we've been forgiven, and to instead see how God's hand has carried us through the fire and brought us to where we are today. You know, in November, we're going to celebrate 20 years New Creation Fellowship. But we're going to go down memory lane. And there are going to be some really cool and awesome things, but there's going to be some painful things as well. But it is amazing where God has brought us here today. Let us not remember the things that took a left turn. Rather, let us as a new creation think back on all the good that God has brought our way. You know, King David said this in Psalm 77 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. The the psalm is about Asaph, and Asaph presents really a three-step process to encouragement and healing. It, It begins with remembering God's great works, right? His wonders of old. And then we should meditate on those works. And we should think about what they teach us today. And then the third step is to talk uh, of these great things with others. I mean, how many times do we get together with other believers and just talk about the great things that God has done in your life? What you choose to remember about the past determines your outlook today. And when we remember God's great works in our lives, the future looks bright. Which brings us to our second question this morning. What do you see in the future? Another way to... To look at that is to say, what do you expect? Some, some people look ahead and all they see is trouble coming. <laughs> Guilty. Right? They just see impending doom. They, they see nothing but failure. And others seem, see something totally different when they look ahead. Right? They see the challenges that lie before them. They, they also see the possibility of victory. Right? They see themselves as having this fighting chance to do well in life. Winston Churchill said this, A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. The question for us this morning is, what do you see? What do you believe about tomorrow? You can call it hope. You can call it optimism. You can call it whatever you want. The fact is, those who see tomorrow in terms of light have a greater strength than those that see tomorrow in terms of darkness. There's a study that showed a sense of optimism and the quality of resilience are closely connected to one another. If you live life with a sense of hope, you are more likely to bounce back from any defeat and you are more equipped to face future challenges. 
The other thing the study showed is that, is that you can learn to be more optimistic. You can learn how to hope. It comes down to what you choose to think about. Right? Pastor Barry used this verse in his series on worship. He did a great job, by the way, didn't he? Good, good four weeks there. He tuckered him out. He had to go on vacation. But, but he used this verse, and, and, he, and he talked about what we think about, right? It starts in our mind. Romans 12, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. When you think about the future, choose hope. Choose to believe what God says rather than, than what you're feeling, rather than what your past may tell you, rather than your, what your negative nature may say to you. What, what does God say about your future? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 puts it this way, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of, for, for welfare and not for evil. Why? To give you a future and a hope. If you do the research, it's interesting. At this point, the Jews were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Right? Like if you were born at the beginning of the captivity, that's like your entire life almost. But God knew his own thoughts towards those that were in captivity. That they didn't know what they were. They didn't remember his thoughts. And so God wanted to save them. So he wrote this in Jeremiah's letter. Here's an interesting thought. Did you know God thinks about you? Now let that marinate for a minute. God thinks about you. In Psalm 40, David pondered the thoughts of God upon the people. He said, your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered, he says. Now, we might, know, might not know what God's thoughts are, but he says, here, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Here's the deal. We can't know the Lord's thoughts because they're too high and they're too deep for our understanding, yet the Lord knows them. The exiled Jews lived in this experience of God's judgment upon their nation, and it was easy for them to think that God was against them, that he intended evil for them. But through the prophet Jeremiah, God assures them that his thoughts towards them were of peace. That then in his heart and in his mind, he had a future and he had a hope for them. And these words he spoke to the people of Israel through Jeremiah are still true today. They apply to us just like they applied to God's people back then. You can view the future with a sense of hope even when you go through difficult times. Even while knowing that more difficult times are coming. You know that, right? More difficult times are ahead. But you also know that God is in control. You also know that God is, is good. And you also know that, that God will see us through. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's not ignorant or blind to the sufferings of our human experience. He experienced more sufferings than probably this whole room combined. And yet he considered the future glory far outweighed the present sufferings. It's an out, just 
uh, an outstanding statement here. And Paul applies it to himself. When, when his ship was not sinking or he wasn't being stunned or robbed or he wasn't being whipped within an inch of his life, he's not speaking poetically when he told the Galatians, finally, let, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Right? That's real stuff. Yet he says that the present sufferings are not to be compared with the coming glory. This looks forward to the resurrection of the body and the subsequent complete Christ-likeness, which is the believer's eternal glory. Here's my point. When you look to the future, look through the lens of God's promises. He has big plans for you. He has a pretty fantastic future for you. All right, here's the third question that we should be asking ourselves, and that is, what do you see in this moment? Another way to look at that one is, what are you focused on today? Jesus said, Matthew 6, 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus reminds us of the importance of living for the present day. Right? It isn't wrong to remember the past or our plan for the future. Right? Like, I don't know about you, I live by my calendar. I'm always planning for the future. And to some degree, both of those are good and they're needed. Yet it is easy to become too focused on either the past or the future and to let the, this day be ignored. And God wants us to remember the past and plan for the future, but he wants us to live, what, in the present. I like the last part of the verse, each day has enough trouble of its own. He's basically saying every day comes with a task to be done, a set of obligations to fulfill, and these are the things that need to be done today. And I'm not referring to your to-do list, by the way. Because if you're like me, I got my little list, right? That's, that's, those are fine. But, but today's obligations gives us the idea, this is the person that I'm striving to be today. Like today, I want to walk in God's presence. Today, I want to show my family that I love them. Today, I want to be kind to others. Today, I want to spend time in God's word. Today, I want to be holy. Uh, today, I want to do my work with a passion. Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to focus on, which way, on that which needs to be done today rather than getting all jacked up and twisted up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Common theme for those that are in recovery is to live one day at a time. Now, and we've heard it so many times, it's, it's kind of a cliche to us now, right? But let me say, tell you, it's worth, it's worth clicheing. Is that a word? I'm not sure it is, but I'm going to use it anyway. Right? It is a powerful concept that we need to take notice of. So what are you looking at today? The correct answer is today I'm looking at today. And I will do today what I need to do today in order to successfully navigate today. What does God say about today? Psalms 118.24, this is the day that the Lord has made. 
right? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And it is true in a general sense that the Lord makes every day, and there's reason to rejoice in that. There's reason to be glad in every day. Yet specifically, the day the Lord has made to rejoice and be glad was the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem with the Hosannas, welcoming him as Israel's Savior. If on that day human voices failed to rejoice and to be glad, Jesus said that the stones would cry out. God also says this in 2 Corinthians 6.2, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And Paul emphasizes his point by quoting Isaiah 49.8. He, he was passionately concerned about the Corinthians that they would adhere to the truth because it was God's time to save. And, and they were messengers for helping spread the gospel. Now is the day of salvation. And Paul applies Isaiah's words to his present situation. Because there is a time in God's economy when he listens to sinners and he responds to those who are repentant. And it was and it is that time. However, let me tell you this this morning. There will be also an end to that time. Which is why Paul's exhortation was so passionate. Now more than ever, we... More than ever, we need to be a people of perspective. Now more than ever, we need to be a people who sees reality as God sees it. Now more than ever, in the issues that we have in our day, in this moment, we need to proclaim the gospel and take a stand for the truth in such a way that, that it causes others to repent and come to Jesus. Then for every person in this room, when we look at the past, you may only see heartbreak and disappointment and despair, but God sees mercy. God, God sees grace and forgiveness. Let's remember the past through the perspective of God's mercy. And when we look at the future, maybe you see nothing but uncertainty, and maybe you're fearful of what lies ahead, but God sees the future as bright, filled with light, empowered with the promise of hope. When we see what we think we see, God sees what we cannot see. So let's look at the future through the perspective of God's promise. And we look at today, we may see nothing but chaos and disorder. We may be overwhelmed and overcome with worry. But when God looks at today, he sees an opportunity to fill your life with his presence. To, 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 for you to experience his power. And to celebrate the day that he has made. So let's look at today through the perspective of God's presence. He's here. He is with you. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day for the promises of God to come alive in your life. And, and I'm talking about seeing your life through the eyes of faith. Faith in God's mercy. Faith in his promises. Faith in his power. Faith in his presence. My challenge for you today is to strive to see life as God sees it and to live life today as God promised it can be left. Can, 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 we, can we try to do that? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today.
God, this morning we trust in you. Will we trust in you now more than ever? We want to thank you that we can come before you in boldness and in confidence. We know that you are able. We know that your plan is the best plan. So God, we pray that our hearts would be aligned with you. And we want to thank you in advance for all that you're going to do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.